Hello, it's Alyssa Milano, and I can't wait for you to read my new book, Sorry Not Sorry. It's a collection of essays where I share my unapologetic thoughts on life, culture, activism, and motherhood. You'll learn some things about me that I know you've never heard before and share in my story as an activist. This book is such a big part of my heart, and so are you, and thank you for that. Sorry Not Sorry is available now everywhere books are sold. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, I'm Alyssa Milano, and this is Sorry Not Sorry. Jessica Grows. She is an opinion writer at The New York Times who writes a popular newsletter on parenting. Jess was the founder, editor of Lenny, the email newsletter and website. She also writes about women's health, culture, politics, and grizzly bears. Her new book, Screaming on the Inside, The Unsustainability of American Motherhood, is now available. They felt unfulfilled, alone, and ashamed to admit that they felt lost in the midst of motherhood. Not a single Republican congressman or senator would vote for the American Rescue Plan of Joe Biden. It breaks my heart when I think of all the good things that are done. We have a vaccination program across the United States that is the best in the world because of the American Rescue Plan, which all the Republicans voted against. Help for businesses. Cash payments that went to families. The United States is really exceptional in its lack of support for families with children. So we do have a few things. We have the earned income tax credit um, that families that families with children receive. But there are many other policies that other countries have. So like um, family allowances, payments to families with children, um, universal child care. I'm Jessica Gross. I'm an opinion writer at the New York Times and the author of a new book. Screaming on the inside, the unsustainability of American motherhood. I am fighting for moms and all kinds of parents to feel less guilty about themselves. Sorry, not sorry. Jessica, thank you so much and welcome to Sorry Not Sorry. Before we dig into your new book, and I really want to talk about that, please just tell us who you are and about the work you do. I am an opinion writer at the New York Times, where I focus mostly on the American family. And I wrote this book in the summer of 2020 because I think the pandemic made many people in America realize that the way we have structured parenthood, but specifically motherhood, is not working for a whole lot of people, and it could work a lot better. 
And the title of your new book is Screaming on the Inside, The Unsustainability of American Motherhood. I love that title and I hate how true it is. But why is it that we have to scream on the inside? Why aren't we allowed to just share our challenges out in the open? The fascinating thing about doing the research for this book and reading women's diaries and letters from the past two, three hundred years is that mothers have always been honest about how hard motherhood is. And they have wrote to their sisters, they wrote to their mothers, they talked to their husbands. We've always been talking about it, but we feel that we cannot talk about it publicly because if you do, you get often really cruel pushback. You get told you should have never had children. You signed up for this. Why are you complaining? There's a lot of countervailing forces making us feel like if we tell the truth about our own experiences, we'll be made to feel ashamed. Yeah, mother shaming is a real thing. And we often see mother as just this all-encompassing identity. It's almost like mythic, right, in its stature, but we're humans with a lot of competing demands. What does mother, the word, the whole idea of mother really mean in America in 2022? I think there's still this idea that when you become a mother, you need to put yourself absolutely last, that you should put everybody else in front of you. You should sacrifice basically your humanity because all humans have all sorts of wants, needs, desires, feelings. You should transform into an angel. And if you don't do that, then there is something wrong with you or abnormal. And I think even though clearly women are able to do so much more in society than they were even 50 years ago, as I talk about in the book, I was really shocked to learn about some of the things that are very recent rights for not just mothers, but women in terms of being able to access credit. That was like 1978. So that's our mothers. That's our mother's generation. And birth control, um, birth control was only like if you were married and you had the blessing of your husband. It's not that long ago. So I don't mean to suggest that, oh, it's harder than it ever has been before. I can turn on a faucet and there's running water. That makes it a lot easier than motherhood in 1780 or whenever. But I do think as we have gotten more rights in society and more ability to have freedoms and do what we want, all of those other responsibilities didn't go away and all of those other expectations. So now it's the idea that, oh, well, you know, you can be a working mother, but don't ever let your children vanish from your mind for even a second. So you need to be the ideal worker at work and the ideal mother at home. And also, of course, you have to keep looking hot and you have to have wellness. You have to be meditating at 5 a.m. And so we just, instead of saying, okay, this role is changing for people. And so maybe we need to change the expectations around the role. We just keep adding more expectations on the pile. And that's, again, with the pandemic, I felt like even though there's only one chapter about the pandemic in the book, I felt the experience of living through that for all parents was very crystallizing. And I think more people really realize that the way that we've defined motherhood in this country and the, what we expect mothers, but really parents of any gender to do is unreasonable. And when you look at other countries that are as wealthy as the United States, they just give so much more of a safety net to everyone. But when you're a parent, and especially when you have young children, you really need that. Your book is particularly about American motherhood, which obviously is very important. 
But I'm just wondering what you found. How does mothering in America differ than, say, mothering in Europe? The real big difference and the reason I wanted to focus on American mothering is that we don't have the safety net. We don't have really any kind of childcare system. We obviously don't have paid leave at a federal level. We don't have paid sick leave, which obviously affects everyone. But I think particularly parents, because any parent can tell you your kids are sick literally all the time. This winter has just been a nightmare (laughs) for everyone. So when you don't have those things functioning in society is just harder. It is harder. And so I was just looking at the statistic the other day from one of my colleagues at the time. And I believe, I don't want to get this wrong, that an equivalently wealthy country to the United States spends $14,000 a year on child care for toddler age child. And the United States spends $500. The lack of affordable and accessible childcare is holding women back from re-entering the job market. In fact, 64,000 women left the job market in April of this year alone. Now, compared to other nations in the world, childcare, uh, the childcare system in the United States um, is really awful. It's far behind. Uh, I mean, when you look at other developed nations, we fall behind on education, we fall behind on healthcare. I mean, land of the free though, right? Work yourself (laughs) to the bone and you get very little in return. For the entire year. Mm -hmm. And there is less to go around from our social systems. And I think that makes it uniquely hard and it makes living as a parent in the United States a uniquely individual system. And I think about this all the time in terms of childcare. I became a mom before most of my friends and I remember thinking so many people have been through this before trying to find childcare for their new family. How does it feel so hard? Why does it feel like I'm blazing in a brand new trail that no one has blazed before? And all of my friends who came after me all said the same thing. It was like, why does this feel like I'm trying to figure out some puzzle or it's some magic trick and I don't know how it works and it's too expensive because we're all trying to figure it out individually. And that makes it incredibly hard rather than having a clear system with help and a communal way to live. So that's really why I wanted to focus on American motherhood specifically. And why in your writing, did you figure out why we have so much less safety nets in this country as compared to other countries? It's complicated as many of these things are, but it all does boil down to this sort of uniquely American individualism and a desire to keep taxes low and not rely on the government for many services. And so you'll see that in every realm. But the government can tell us what to do with our uteruses. Yeah, they sure can. I don't love it. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.
the hypocrisy of we don't want to get involved, but we're going to get involved in the biggest decision you will ever have to make in your life that controls your own destiny. Right. But what they would say is that doesn't cost us any money. That doesn't cost us money to tell you you can't do that. It costs the money to provide paid leave, which I would argue is one of the biggest things you can do to ensure the health of children and the next generation, which they purport to care about. Yeah, but I would argue that it actually does wind up costing them money later down the line when families are below the poverty level and they can't afford to put food on the table because there are no early childhood centers that stay open past noon. Absolutely. And what's really appalling is when you look at the even the early Head Start programs, which are meant to serve low income folks, they, the last I checked, only serve one eighth of the population that they are supposed to serve. So just getting help at any point. And again, having a being able to support a thriving family, our country makes it really hard to do that. I want to unpack a little bit more in depth how mothering has changed in America over the past several years since the pandemic. What can you point to and maybe do a comparison, like before the pandemic and then after the pandemic, and then where are we right now? So I'm going to start with positive because I don't like to despair. I <laughs> There's obviously many data points that can make us feel pretty bad about the state of things, but in the positive realm, As I was writing the book, like I said, I wrote the proposal in the summer of 2020, and I wrote it basically like the final draft was maybe March 22. Two states passed paid leave. I believe it was Maryland and Delaware. So I had to keep revising because I'm like, wait, more states passed paid leave. You know, this is a movement that is moving forward. It's incremental, but it's happening. And then just last week, obviously, I've been talking a lot about the book, New Mexico passed a law that would pay childcare providers more money and guarantee that they get paid more of a living wage. And so Little things like that keep happening. They don't affect all Americans, but they all add up to this cumulative move forward. So that's all to the good. It's not going to make front page news, but if you're on the beat, as I am, it's my job to follow it. I can see at least every week or two, there's some piece of good news that makes me feel just, I'm so grateful to all the activists and politicians who are working so hard every day to make this change. So that's all happening. I think more people realize that we need this, that it's really a high priority. So when you look at the polling, the interesting thing is these policies have been popular for an extremely long time. People like paid leave. It makes sense to them, not just for moms, not just for dads. Researchers at the World Policy Analysis Center study the issue of paid family leave. The question of why we don't have it is one that countries around the world are asking. The United States is one of just seven countries in the world without national paid maternity leave. 186 countries guarantee new mothers paid leave from work. The average paid time off, 31 weeks. 109 countries guarantee new fathers paid leave. The average time off is 29 weeks. And 181 countries guarantee paid sick leave, more than two-thirds providing 12 weeks or more. Pretty much anyone in society will have to care for a loved one at some point, whether it's a parent, whether it's a sick relative, a friend, that's humanity, that's life. And so people want paid leave. What is heartening is that it has moved up in the priority. So when you ask voters, what are issues that matter to me? Still not up at the top with the economy and inflation and all that, but it keeps moving up. It is more and more important to people. And I think the pandemic really made people realize 
we need this. We need to be able to care for ourselves and our families. And that's one of the top things that matters to us. That's also the good. The not so good is obviously with the divided Congress, I don't see in the next few years anything really remarkable happening at the federal level, though you never know. Hope springs eternal and lots of people are working on it. I think obviously Roe, just every time I think about it, it breaks my heart, especially the people that attends to affect need the most help to begin with. They can't afford to have more kids. Their medical bills that might result from a complication that they can't resolve because I don't know if you've read recent news from Texas, just about all of these pregnancies that are not viable, that they have not been able to end in a timely manner and that how it affects all those women's health. It's just, it's tragedy, unnecessary tragedy. So all of that, um, I hope it gets reversed. Yeah. And the thing about it that's so maybe disheartening is the right word is those who are already struggling like you said those in a low income community these are other just other ways that we have written policy about making poverty something that you can never get away from you can never get ahead And whether that be legislating based on a woman's bodily autonomy or the fact that most people don't have access to health care or just food deserts where moms can't go to the supermarket and find fresh vegetables. They have to go to a convenience store, you know, and buy an apple or a banana. All of these issues impact moms, obviously, but also impact the generations to follow. And it becomes so incredibly hard to break the cycle. And without that help, without those safety nets, it is literally like we're saying you don't deserve to have nice things based on a zip code or based on where you were born or based on your identity. And in all my years of activism, I don't know that I've ever been like this hopeful and yet this pessimistic at the same time. And I guess the lesson here is just to keep continuing to find some sort of fulfillment in the process of working towards meaningful change that isn't just temporary, but that really changes the way we look at low-income communities and what we need to do to lift them up and out of their situations. You interviewed more than 100 mothers for this book, and you are a mother yourself. Is there something that came up repeatedly that may not be obvious? I think anyone paying attention and talking to parents will not find that much of this book surprising, though I think they will probably find it enraging. It shouldn't be news to anyone that we make it very hard to work and parent at the same time. But I would say the the specific details and sort of how appalling they were will shock people one of them that I think about all the time. I talked to more than one person who during the pandemic fully hit a pregnancy from an employer because they were so concerned that it would make them be perceived differently at work or it would make them lose a job if it was contract work because they would think that, oh, you can't do this job anymore. We don't need you if you're going to be distracted. And number one, they were managed to be normally productive. So nobody knew that they were having a baby. But number two, it just feels like such a searing indictment of the way the American workplace treats mothers that they were, their first instinct was just to not tell them at all, 
just don't tell them. Just hide this pregnancy fully. It just, I don't want them to know. And that's just so depressing to me. And this is just my listeners, I sound like a broken record, but this is another reason why we need the Equal Rights Amendment. Pregnancy and mother discrimination in the workplace is a real thing. We hear these nightmare stories about women not having a clean private place to pump. And yet we're expected to go in six weeks after we give birth or whatever and try to figure out how to make it all work. And it's horrifying. And pregnancy discrimination, pregnancy discrimination is technically illegal, except it is incredibly hard to prove. Equal opportunity advocates call this a flagrant case of pregnancy discrimination. The law firm went as far as to ask the mother if she planned to keep the baby. She says she knew what happened to her was not just wrong, but illegal, so she sued. It is very, very hard to prove. And so many people don't want to go through the legal system, which is reliving all of that is painful. It's expensive. So even when we do have these laws on the books, enforcing them is really difficult. I think all laws protecting women are very difficult to prove. And I think a lot of that is because women are not in the Constitution. I think if we had protections other than the 19th Amendment and how the you know lawyers have been able to manipulate the 14th Amendment to include discrimination based on gender, we would be a lot more able to have the weight of the Constitution behind things like this. Also, domestic violence would be a lot easier to prosecute with an Equal Rights Amendment. So in the world of, in the age of social media, where so many accounts feel like they're made to make mothers feel like shit about themselves, whether that be on like, how quick my body bounced back. We all follow one of those moms who's the fitness guru that it took them four days to get back into their size 24 hip hugger jeans. Like, how do we portray mothers? You know, that social media is a huge place. Billions of people are on it. Billions of people are showing themselves in various ways. You can find any kind of community you want. So it's not all good or all bad. And I talked to a lot of women from my book who found really solace and acceptance in very specific communities if they had, particularly if they had pregnancy loss or maybe if they were going through IVF, just having that knowledge share and emotional support because maybe you have friends in your life and they're empathetic, but if they've never gone through that particular experience, just having someone who's been there. So I talked to lots of women who found really beautiful communities there. However, what makes money and what gets promoted through various algorithms tends to be this very specific look and vision and it's all perfect all the time and it's all happy. Because obviously advertisers don't want anything controversial and they want to be associated with this beautiful vision. And it's no different really from what's been in women's magazines for ages. It's just now we're doing it ourselves. We cut out the middleman of the publisher. We are now publishing it ourselves. They're making businesses out of it, which like, God bless, go do your hustle. I think it's more... The dangerous part of it is just if you are in a vulnerable state, and I think it's really the hardest when you're a new mom, my kids are a bit older, so I feel like I have a lot more defense systems against it. But you see this beautiful vision and it looks a certain way and you're looking around your house and you're like, I'm covered in spit up and my house is a disaster and it doesn't look like this at all. And then you start feeling less than and that you aren't living up to some imagined fake advertising ideal. So I think it's important not to 
God bless anyone who wants to live their life however they want to live it and show whatever they want to show. I think it's more about just pointing out the artifice of it and pointing out that they are trying to sell us something and that we don't have to buy it. And I talked to a really amazing psychologist, Elise DeMarco, for the book, and she said something that I think about a lot was if you're following someone and just think about how they're making you feel, and if they're not making you feel good, you don't even like them, you don't share their values. I'm fat. Wow, I'm fat. She's only 19 years old. What am I doing with my life? Hey, two likes. Nice. Do I like this photo? Does she really need more likes? Hey, I hope I'm going to be invited to the wedding. What? One more like. Nice. Welcome to the internal monologue of a typical social media scroll. A monologue that so many of us have every day, but we don't think about. We don't talk about it. In fact, many of us can't even recognize it happening. Just unfollow. You don't need that in your life. So I think it's about not allowing ourselves to get drawn in by things that don't serve us or don't make us feel good about ourselves or our parenting. Okay, so here is the bajillion dollar question. And I guess I should ask it in two ways, because you do seem to be incredibly positive about a lot of aspects of this. So does motherhood in America need to be fixed so that it can be more sustainable? And if it does need to be fixed, in your opinion, from all of your research in this book, how do we fix it? So it definitely needs to be fixed. I think that there's no question about that. We need to, on an interpersonal level, we need to give each other more grace. On a workplace level, workplaces need to accept that their employees are human beings who have caretaking responsibilities, not just moms. I really just, it drives me bananas that we make this into just a mom thing. And then by making it into just a mom thing, we can dismiss it as frivolous and silly. No, it's an everybody thing. It's a human thing. And then, you know, some of the policy changes that I already talked about on a political level. So it needs to be fixed in a lot of ways. Can we do it? I think in small ways all the time, in little ways all the time. But it's always by fixing it, I don't think that we'll ever make it without difficulty or without unhappiness or without um, without real pain and anxiety. And that's part of the journey. My kids are the world to me. And that cliche about you're only as unhappy as your least happy child, 100% true for me. I think parenting will never be easy, but that's okay. It doesn't have to be easy. It just has to be tolerable. It has to be loving. It has to be joyful. We have to be able to have the space to make it livable. And so that's really my hope is not to pretend that it's ever going to be like this perfect thing because that's not realistic. It's like, how do we make it in a way that it just doesn't ground us into the ground and make us feel so exhausted and burnt out all the time, which is I think how I can only speak for myself. But I think especially after the last two years, I just don't feel like I've really recovered from that. I feel like I'm like, I just need a month where no one asks me for anything. Just four weeks off. I felt really tired, I think, before the pandemic. My kids were three and seven when the pandemic started. But I think that sort of bone deep exhaustion is much more intense now for a lot of people. And I think that's the goal to just not make us all feel just ground down into dust from this experience that should have all sorts of joys and good parts to it. 
This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. I mean, how do we achieve it when we live in a country that we don't have choice, but also in a country that people can't do it alone? First, it's accepting that no individual can fix anything. But do we legislate? What do we do? You do what every person can do what they can do. So on an individual level, whether it is saying asking for help, I think just starting there, I think a lot of moms in particular have trouble asking for help because they think it means that they've failed because they should be able to do all of the things themselves. But who do we ask for help? Friends, family, um, spouses, community members, like the really building up our community. Just it depends on what kind of help you need. It's just really reaching out of ourselves rather than into ourselves, I think is the first step. I think in terms of activism, I think a lot of parents, especially very young children, are exhausted. And so I don't think asking them like go out and do even more is realistic or humane. So I think it's remembering what that felt like. It's remembering what it felt like when your kids were really little. And then maybe when you have some more energy when your kids are older to pay that forward, to be voting for candidates that make paid leave a priority that talk about the lives of working parents in their campaigns that really, I mean, I I have to say I found the recent midterms a little disappointing from this perspective because I did not hear really anyone with a national profile talking about these issues. They were not talking about daycare. They were not talking about paid leave. They weren't talking about those things in a big way. And obviously I couldn't listen to every speech that every single candidate made. So if anybody wants to tell me about a candidate who's really getting out there and talking about these issues, I want to talk to them. I want to hear about them. But I think just insisting that our politicians prioritize these issues, not just say, oh yeah, I support that. Actually like put their money where their mouth is to actually support it, move forward and to insist that they do that. By the way, all of this was in women's platform. Oh, which is all dead. (laughs) R.I.P. Exactly. And by the way, you know, was substantial enough for him to really, I think, use it as the foundation for activating and mobilizing voters that had a uterus. Mr. President, what should Americans expect from Congress as it relates to abortion rights? I don't think they can expect much of anything other than we're going to maintain our positions. I'm not going to give any more questions. I shouldn't even answer your questions. No, I, don't, I don't think there's enough votes to codify. And literally, I've been so frustrated. He has been elected because I can't get anyone from that department on the phone anymore. It's like it was promised. And then it felt like they were like too many other things that we have to do. And then before we know it, just like activists have been saying since Kavanaugh, Roe v. Wade was overturned. And now everyone's scrambling. And how do we continue to put on the pressure of people who are running for elected office to really prioritize the 50% of women, and maybe even more than that at this point, who are running for office. But also, they're always like, how do we engage the youth vote? 
maybe engage the young people by saying, you know what, it's really hard to have a family right now, but here's what we're going to do. So by the time you're ready, first of all, it'll be your choice. But second of all, when it's your turn to be a mother, this is what we're going to have in place. I need to ask you what you think the role of men in doing this work is. I think actually more men need to be doing this work. And it's incredibly important because I think if, like I said, it often gets siloed as a women's issue and then it's taken less seriously. And for a piece that I wrote last week, I talked to a a pollster who talks to a lot of Republicans and she polls for Republican candidates. And she was telling me that a group of people who love paid leave is rural men. That's not a particularly liberal group. They don't tend to vote for Democrats, but they tend to work hourly jobs and they tend to be very far away from services because there's just bigger spaces between things in rural America. So there's a real caregiving crisis. You can't find someone to, it's much harder to find somebody to help, even if you could afford that help. And so let's say like a scenario that she described was if your wife just had a C-section and she was hemorrhaging and you need to take time off work, but you don't have any kind of paid leave. You're an hourly worker. So if you're not working, you're not getting any money. You're not salaried. And so those men really want to be there to take care of their spouses and their new babies. And so I think it is more people who are not like me, who could be dismissed as a New York coastal elite, more people not like me talking about these issues and the importance of them to their lives and the salience of them to their lives and how they can allow their families to thrive. Because this shouldn't be as politicized the way it is. Like I said, everyone will someday need to care for a family member and should be able to do that without worrying about going bankrupt. And finally, and I think I know what you're going to say, but finally, what gives you hope? What gives me hope? All the activists working tirelessly, and I really mean tirelessly, I've interviewed so many of them and they've described setbacks over the years working for a decade to get legislation passed that finally passed. And just that kind of day in, day out work and not letting themselves be despairing. It's never just like, and we introduced this and everyone was so happy and it passed exactly as written. It's not like that. It doesn't work that way. And so people are out there doing that hard work constantly. That really gives me hope. This is cheesy, but you know, I have two girls and they make me so hopeful. I mean, my older daughter is very earnest and every new outrage she hears about in the world about anything that is unfair or cruel, she just is completely, she can't even believe that this is the way it is. And she is so committed to changing it. And I wrote once about how she saw, we had National Geographic lying around and there was an article, a cover line about how the world's population of bees was really in trouble. And she's like, what's happening to the bees? We need to save the bees. (laughs) Children innately have that in them. They innately have this desire to worry about other living things, whether that's the bees or their parents or their classmates. Well, Jessica, you give me hope. Oh, and you give me hope. Thank you so much. That's so sweet. Thank you. Thank you for all you do and for being a part of the podcast. Oh, my pleasure. To date, women have lost more than 4.6 million jobs since the beginning of this pandemic, 32% between the age of 25 and 44. They said that childcare was the reason they had to leave work. They are mothers. But these numbers do not tell the whole story. But there's a new column in the New York Times that is trying to, and they're doing an extraordinary job. 
Reporters behind what's called Primal Scream series kept hearing accounts of mothers on the brink of collapse. So they set up an emergency call line where mothers can just scream, vent, laugh, cry, and share their stories. These are just a few. All I hear <laughs> all the live long day is mom, 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 mom. I just want to wake up and go through my day and not worry and not wonder and not know what the future holds because this right here sucks and I'm sick of it. There is no break. There is no real me time. I barely get to communicate with other adults, and it is suffocating. Ugh, we need to build a culture where mothers are allowed to be human. We can't continue to uphold the mythologies of motherhood and the expectations which come with those mythologies. We need to just stop watching social media influencers who show you only the moments they choose to show you and judging ourselves by their allegedly perfect presentations. It's why I've been so intense on supporting the Marshall Plan for Moms, getting financial support and childcare support to mothers so that mothers can do all of the other things that we are expected to do and required to do. It is critical. It is a critical need for our culture. We need to change our culture to make fathers more involved in the home so that mothers can be more involved outside the home. We need to do it now. Sorry Not Sorry is executive produced by Alyssa Milano. That's me. Our producer is Ben Jackson. Audio editing and engineering by Maciej Lewandowski. And music by Josh Cook, Alicia Eagle, and Milo Bugliari. Don't forget to rate, review, and spread the word. Sorry. Not sorry.